0: And welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sorosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, Critic's Choice, or Cult Classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I'm so looking forward to going back to the movie theater. I didn't think I'd ever say that. Between the cell phones ringing, people talking, and the sticky floor, I thought my days of social activities like that were done. I've gotten used to watching movie premieres on my television. And it's so convenient. But watching films is a communal experience. There's something special about laughing at the same moment with others, watching people's shoulders jump at a scare. And no matter how good my setup is at home, there is nothing like being completely immersed with a large screen and surround sound. Movie theaters have evolved. Now we have seats that recline that I can fall asleep in. Gone are the days with chairs that flare up my sciatica. Even the commercials before the previews are more entertaining. Huh, I didn't know Val Kilmer was offered the lead role in Dirty Dancing. But the biggest change has to be with the concessions. When I was growing up, the only things available were candy, popcorn, and soda. The dentist's evil trifecta. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to a movie theater or a TGI Fridays. There are stone-fired pizza slices, hamburger sliders, southern-style chicken fingers, artisan flatbreads, what the hell is an artisan, and quesadillas. I might be old school, but I'll take the popcorn with the three or four squirts of that butter flavor that I can smell seeping out of my pores five hours later. On the candy front, I've always been a fan of the Nestle Crunch Bites. The only problem is that the cellophane the pieces come in can be noisy, and outside of talking, nothing is more distracting in a movie theater than hearing that crunch crunch of the plastic wrapper. Chocolate is a risky choice. Even with the air conditioning, it always tends to melt and become a bit of a production because someone always needs a napkin, and the person with the napkins is seated a few places down, so in the dark you hear, Agnes, can you pass me a napkin? Why? The Twix, it melted. It's all over my fingers. Just lick it off. Why can't you just give me a napkin? I only have three. What if I run out? I'll go out and get more then why can't you go out and get one now? Ladies, I'm trying to watch a movie here. Well, you don't have to be so rude. Agnes, can you believe how rude he is? No one has consideration anymore. I blame Obama. Unless the chocolate is in small pieces, like Reese's, Milk Duds, Whoppers, they tend to maintain well, but chocolate bars, not so much. Dots are pretty good, but they tend to stick together, which leads to people shaking the box to loosen them up. Not ideal for a theater experience. I don't mind Sour Patch Kids, but I can't eat too many of them because the sugar always cuts up the roof of my mouth and I'm in misery for days. But despite that, I guess it's an ideal candy for movie theaters. Skittles are great and I love tasting the rainbow, but also has the sound problem. When you pour them out in your hand, the candy-coating shells smashes against each other and sounds like you're playing marbles. I think Twizzlers are the safest choice. Once the bag is open, it's easy to take one. Doesn't make too much noise, you won't run out, leaves no mess, and if you bite off both ends, you can use it as a straw for your soda. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars, 1 star is skip it, 2 stars watch at your own risk, 3 stars standard fare, 4 stars worth checking out, and 5 stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie. Half-Baked, from 1998, about a group of stoners who have to bail out their friend from prison. It was directed by Tamra Davis, who started off her career in music videos, working with The Bangles, Faith No More, The Smiths, Bonnie Raitt, Hanson, The Beastie Boys. On the feature side, she helmed Billy Madison, Best Men, and Crossroads, before working on various television series. The screenplay was co-written by Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan, who wrote for Singled Out, All That, Chappelle's Show, and The Daily Show. The movie starts off with a group of young friends who get high for the first time. They don't feel like they've gotten a buzz, but when they walk into the convenience store, they have a serious case of the munchies and are seeing human-sized bags of chips, candy bars and cups of soda. They've remained friends over the years with the common bond being their pension for getting high. Thurgood Jenkins works as a janitor at a pharmaceutical corporation and portrayed by comedian Dave Chappelle, known for his show, Robin Hood Men in Tights and The Nutty Professor. New and used record store employee Brian is played by stand-up Jim Brewer, who spent three years on Saturday Night Live and provided voiceover work for Titan AE and Zookeeper. Scarface is a fast food cook at his royal beefiness. Guillermo Diaz from the popular TV series Weeds and Scandal personifies this role. Rounding out the crew is kindergarten teacher Kenny Davis, who is portrayed by Harland Williams of Down Periscope, Superstar, and Freddy Got Fingered fame. Now a little trivial trivia, Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer were in a short-lived series called Buddies and made an appearance on Home Improvement Together, which was created and produced by the same team of Finestra, McFadden, and Williams. After an evening of getting high, Kenny goes out to the store to pick up munchies and ends up overfeeding a police horse with the snacks, not realizing that she's diabetic. Never thought I'd say those words in a sentence. He gets arrested and the bail is set at $1 million. His friends have to raise 10% of that total to get him out. While visiting Kenny in prison, Thurgood meets a woman named Mary Jane, which is eye roll inducing. Her father is in jail for dealing weed, and because of that, she's vehemently against its use. He swears to her that he doesn't partake, and they start dating. Eventually, she finds out that he's lying, and he has to figure out how to win her back. Mary Jane is played by Rachel True, who appeared in The Craft, Groove, and the TV series Half and Half. While at work, Thurgood is given a form by a scientist, and asked if he could run an errand to pick up something from the Clinical Studies Supply Department on the second floor. To his surprise, the package he's given is a block of weed. Is that the proper term? Block? Alphonse! Alphonse! Look that up for me. When he returns with the parcel, the scientist explains that the FDA is doing a study to determine the medicinal purposes of marijuana. To thank him for the favor, he gives Thurgood part of the weed for his troubles. That night, Thurgood, Brian, and Scarface try the weed, and they've never had such a high... They devise a plan where they'll forge some of the forms, take the weed from the clinic, and start selling it to raise money to bail out Kenny. They hit the streets to let the public know that there's a new game in town. Here's a quote out of context. No Scarface. No Billy Bong Thornton without Kenny. Use Wesley Pipes. As their business grows, they meet up with clients which is ripe for cameo appearances by Jon Stewart, Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson, Janine Garofalo, and Stephen Baldwin. The popularity of their product gains the attention of celebrity Sir Smoke-A-Lot, also played by Dave Chappelle, who advertises their company on TV, which garners the attention of drug kingpin Samson Simpson. Half-Baked was a decent movie. It had its moments, and I would probably watch it again. I put it in the same comedy category as Airheads, which is a film I thoroughly enjoy, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's great cinema. I don't think it's at the level of the early 2000 comedies like Anchorman, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and Dodgeball. I found those films to be consistently funny throughout and a lot stronger. Now, I'm never going to complain about a short runtime, but even at its length, it felt like they were desperate to pad. The love interest storyline with Mary Jane didn't add too much to the plot. They even went through the backstory of a dog that Scarface bought. Sure, there were some Snickers, but again, didn't really add much. There were bits of fantasy thrown in, visually representing the buzz they're feeling. A couple of movie references or parodies including Jerry Maguire, Superman, Batman, and Mission Impossible. Based on the talent alone, the film should have been funnier. I did expect to laugh more. It was entertaining, though. There was just something missing. But Dave Chappelle is one of the world's most popular comedians, and my fanbase can fit in my backyard. So what do I know? This is something to look out for. There are cameo appearances by Tracy Morgan, Stephen Wright, Bob Saget, and weed icons Tommy Chong and Jerry Garcia. Half-Baked was a Robert Simmons production, who is the founder of STX Entertainment. He's produced Problem Child, Happy Gilmore, Joe Dirt, and the aforementioned Airheads. The cinematography was captured by Stephen Bernstein, whose filmography includes Like Water for Chocolate, Bulletproof, Underworld, and The Waterboy. It was edited by Don Zimmerman, who worked on Heaven Can Wait, Rocky IV, The Prince of Tides, Ace Ventura, and was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Film Editing on Coming Home, his first credit. The score was composed by Alf Clausen, who worked on The Simpsons, Moonlighting, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and ironically, Alf. The soundtrack features songs by Coolio, Run DMC, Bloodhound Gang, Days of the New, Cowboy Mouth, and UB40 performs the credit song Get Lifted. The runtime is 1 hour and 22 minutes. It had a budget of 8 million and grossed 17.5 million at the box office. It was nominated for 17 Academy Awards. Nah, <laughs> I'm just joshing. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Custodial Arts, Bodegas, Buttercup. Mean Face, Kindergarten Cop Killer, Mr. Nice Guy, Nasty Nate, Gateway Drug, Bacchiotomy, Taps, and Maui Wowie. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. Add half a star if you're going to watch in an altered state. If you've seen Half-Baked and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Doom. Moving right along, each episode I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Some have called it the greatest live performance in music history. On Saturday, July 13th, 1985... Queen walked onto the stage at Wembley Stadium and captured the audience for the entirety of their 20-minute set list, which included hits Bohemian Rhapsody, Radio Gaga, Hammer to Fall, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, We Will Rock You, and We Are the Champions. Before they went out, their engineer took off the limiters from the soundboard so they would be louder than any of the previous acts. I honestly don't think it would have mattered, though. Queen hadn't played a note, and Freddie already had the crowd in the palm of his hands. This moment was aptly recreated for the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, but nothing compares to watching the real thing. Being a Queen fan, people have asked me my opinion of the movie. I thought the performances were excellent, and the finale was a filmmaking feat. But I was disappointed that they changed the timeline of events. If you're going to do a real-life story, I understand the need to streamline it, but don't try and manufacture drama. Live Aid was not a reunion for Queen. They had played plenty of concerts prior to that date. They weren't on a break. More egregiously, Freddie Mercury was not diagnosed with HIV until 1986 or 87, and the band wasn't aware of this until 1989. So to have this revelation being used as a plot point to bring them back together for their triumph at Live Aid might have been dramatically pleasing, but historically inaccurate and kind of insulting. Other creative license was taken as to when songs were written and released, but I actually don't mind that as much. You know, Queen's story is fantastical enough, and these types of changes were really unneeded. But I'm glad the band has had a resurgence in the past 15 years, I've been able to see them in concert with Paul Rogers and Adam Lambert. The movie has helped skyrocket their popularity to heights they might have never had before in America, or at least not since 1980. So to celebrate the anniversary of this historic performance, I'm going to post Queen at Live Aid. It'll be available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about The War at Home. Continuing my trend of recommending short-lived series, this one starred Michael Rappaport as David Gold, an insurance salesman from Long Island who's brash, loud, and stubborn. Not too much of a stretch there. Anita Barone from Shake It Up in the Jeff Foxworthy Show portrays his wife Vicky, who is way out of his league and a good foil for his bad behavior. They have three children that keep them on their toes. Hillary constantly finds herself in trouble and at odds with her parents, especially in her choice of boyfriends. Larry is a theater nerd and misunderstood by his father. Youngest son Mike is hitting adolescence with a bang and always scheming. They're played by Kaylee Defer from Gossip Girl, Kyle Sullivan from All That, and Dean Collins from Hoot. It co-starred Academy Award winner Rami Malek in an early role. He's the best friend of Larry and is depicted as a young man struggling with his sexuality and being accepted by his family. It was done so respectfully and effectively that the show was nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series by the Glad Media Awards. Despite this... The humor is certainly not politically correct, and they broached subjects that were considered taboo at the time, especially on network TV. The characters would break the fourth wall, speaking directly to the camera. It gave insight as to what they were actually thinking in a situation versus what was happening in the scene. It was used to great comedic effect. It's details like this that keeps it from being your stereotypical family sitcom. I really liked the show. It was different than what was on TV at the time, took chances, really an easy watch. The main theme was written by W.G. Snuffy Walden, third mention on this podcast. We should probably get a stinger for every time I mention his name. It was created by Rob Loiderstein, who worked on Ellen, Suddenly Susan, Boy Meets World, and Shake It Up. The War at Home was on for two seasons, 44 episodes, from 2006 to 2007. <laughs> That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having an interactive element, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time, you guys gotta get me out of here. And weed icons Tommy Chong and Jerry Maguire. No, not Jerry Maguire. (laughs) I might be old school, but I'll take the popcorn with three or four squirts of that flavor butter. Flavor butter, idiot. Kenny goes out to the store to pick up munchies and ends up overfeeding a police snorse, snorse. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one.